Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Jamie Durant, sitting in for Ryan Cryle this week, and I'm joined in the virtual Northern Goal studio by Paul Third and Andy Skinner. How are we, gents, this morning? I'm good, thanks. All good, thanks, Jimmy. Excellent. Uh, Thirty. It was a, a late one for you last night at, uh, at Pittodry. Um, Aberdeen four, Partick Thistle one. Progress through to the semi-finals of the of the League Cup sealed. Was it? Was it kind of as relatively uh, serene as it sounded? Very much so. Um, but largely part to the efforts of Leighton Clarkson and Hayden. Coulson, I died. Um, you can see Coulson started his career as a winger because he's so comfortable pushing forward and Partick just couldn't handle him. Uh, he set up a first goal. He's got the two deflected efforts for goals two and three. Now, never in a month of Sundays can we give him, even with the most optimistic of the dubious goals panel entries, can we give him the, <laughs> the second goal as being his first for the club? But uh, we can be generous and give him the... Goal number three is being his first. Um, as for Clarkson, he's a wee gem of a player. It's the first time I've really got a good look at him. Great touch, movement, vision. And as we know, the guy can hit a ball as well. There's a lot to like about both of these guys. But as a whole, second half was a non-event. Tempo dropped because Aberdeen are 3-0 up. And that's largely due to tactical and personnel changes um, from Jim Goodwin, which he took responsibility for after the game. He switched back to a back four. And straight away, Partick pull a goal back uh, from Aberdeen's good old Achilles heel of the set piece, corner at the back post. And um, the lad Brownlee was all over the top of Ross McCrory and heads it down and past Kel Roos. But there was still time at the end for a terrific goal from Ryan Duncan. Um, he wasn't on the pitch that long, but you can see why the club has high hopes for him. He's certainly one to keep tabs on. You mentioned there, obviously, the, the switch in formation. And I mean, we've seen the last couple of games that the the Dons have gone to a to a back three. Did it look like it? Did, I mean, did it look like it worked? Does it look like the players and personnel that they've got kind of fit that kind of system? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I, if you're if we're, I know it's Motherwell at the weekend, I'd be tempted to stick with the back three because it's after all, it's brought two wins in the last two games against Hearts and and, and Partick. It's interesting that, that they switched back to a four was where Aberdeen kind of lost control of proceedings uh, against the Jags in the cup tie. So, yeah, I'd be very, very much in favour of sticking with three. The only the only thing I ha- issue I have is about creativity because you're really asking your full-backs to get on the ball and, and provide that width. Now, that, that's fine when Johnny Hayes is out, but if Johnny Hayes is fit and available, you've got to put him in your team in some capacity. And if you're trying to keep the two up top, it's got to be Duke and Majofsky at this point, so... Where does Johnny Hayes fit in if you're playing wing-backs? Because you're not dropping Coulson. No chance down the left-hand side. So if it's a four, Johnny Hayes is playing. If not, I'd be tempted to go a three. It'd be uh, remiss of us not to uh, wax lyrical about uh, Mr. Luis Duke Lopez. That's uh, kind of two and two. Two starts for for the striker. Um, he seems to be achieving uh, cult hero status at Pitodri in, uh, in very short time. I mean... Have you been kind of very, very impressed with what you've seen from him in the in the last few days? Oh, he's, he's a wee pocket rocket of a, of a lad, actually. Uh, two goals and an assist. A one-legged assist almost, because he's cramp. He was dying <laughs> from cramp after scoring his goal. And it's like, he picked up the ball and you could see him almost go, well, as Chris Crichton wrote in, the, in his, his piece in the, in the fans' view, 
does he just boot it out and get substituted? I say, oh, before I go, I'll try and do something. And off he went in this the slowest mazy run you've ever seen in your life. But the Hearts boys all kind of backed away from him, and before you knew it, it opened up, and he'd played in Vicente Benjamin for his for his goal at the weekend. But I mean, the fact Majorski was taken off at half time against Partick shows you how well Duke is doing. Um, that game, because the Aberdeen are three 0 up, it gave Jim Goodwin a chance to give Majorski a break because he plays all the time. It gave Christian Ramirez forty five minutes, which is the most we've seen of him. In, a, in quite a while and to be fair Ramirez looked sharp and really keen to get on his, his score sheet um, hadn't been for the part at goalkeeper he might have and he got more minutes into Duke's legs it's hard not to like Duke he's a really tricky customer but his work ethic is fabulous and that's a bit that maybe people don't take any notice of he'll chase everything and you can see his opponents backing off when he's on the ball because they know if they commit too early he's going to make a fool of them if they leave it too late and he's passed them in a way. It's early days, but the signs are very encouraging about this guy. Put it that way. Yeah, because, I mean, we maybe didn't know too much about him when, when he signed in the summer. And obviously, initially, he kind of played, played second fiddle a little bit to Majowski because he'd started the season started the season well. I mean, now kind of Majowski's goals have kind of dried up a little bit. The, the Dons probably do need someone in that kind of forward line to step up and, and kind of produce the goals. And he looks, from what I've seen of him anyway, he looks like he's he's always going to be a persistent threat against defenders. If he's not scoring, he's still going to be making runs. He's still going to be pressing them. He's still going to be someone that opposing defences have to account for. Yeah, and and that, if you, if you go back to last season with the team that started under Stephen Glass, Aberdeen just didn't have anyone in reserve. It was Christian Ramirez or Bust. And if he didn't score... There was very little other actual goals being scored. There was nobody in, in an attacking sense as such. It was a set-piece goal or a, a Lewis Ferguson penalty. or That was it. Aberdeen just didn't have that threat. This year, they've got Duke. You're now seeing Coulson's chipped in with his first goal. Matty Kennedy's always lively. He was he played right wing back. So you're getting service into the strikers and, the, and you've got options of who's going to be on the end of it to put it away. They're, they're looking that going forward, Aberdeen are very good. If they can just sort out that other bit at the back, then they'll be fine. But yeah, longer term, I think they'll be fine, and there, there is the possibility of a very good season ahead for the Dons. But there's still a few chinks in the armor that needs to be shined up, shall we say? We obviously have to mention the draw as well. Uh, Rangers at Hamden Park. I mean, it's it's probably the tie that every Dons fan would have. Would have wanted. Or am I kind of wide of the mark there? Or is it the one that the kind of Don's fans you think would would be hoping for? Or if you if I put on the heart of an Aberdeen fan here, Rangers at Hamden is the one they're most comfortable with. Let me put it that way. Hamden Cup semi final. It's not going to be easy, no matter who you get. But Celtic at Hamden, that's been an insurmountable barrier for the Dons for the better part of the last better part of the last ten years, really. So I doubt many will have been disappointed to avoid that for now. Kilmarnock on paper is the easiest game, but I can imagine there were a few members of the Red Army having the fear here at the nightmare scenario of Derek McInnes denying the Dons in a, in a cup semi-final. Karma and all that, of course. But when it's Rangers, what do we know? Aberdeen are capable and they're going to be right up for it because the fans are going to ensure that's the case. I know this is a new team, Don's fans can feel confident about their players going into that game. 
They beat Rangers in the last semi-final back at Hamden in 2018, thanks to Lewis Ferguson's header. And I'm pretty sure they beat Rangers in a, in a Scotch Cup tie at Ibrox as well. So whatever the outcome in January, I'm expecting a classic. And as ever, all the pressure's on the, the boys from Ibrox, not from Aberdeen. Also in uh, midweek action were Aberdeen women's side. They were beaten 3-1 by Hibernian at Balmour. Our reporter Sophie Goodwin was there and she provides us with this report. Aberdeen women have had a difficult and frustrating start to the season, um, I think, which was summed up by their defeat to Hibs at Balmour Stadium on Wednesday night. Went into that game, their eighth game of the season, having lost their previous seven games. Um, the only point that they've picked up so far this season was a, a two-all draw with Partick Thistle back in August. And I think what's frustrating for Aberdeen is that they know they're not a million miles off um, out of the you know, the games that they played early on in the season. They played against the three full-time professional teams. Um, decisions went against them in a game against Spartans where a goal was given despite it not even crossing the line. So there's been little moments where I think it's defined their season because they're not a million miles off at the performance against Hibs, albeit it was a 3-1 defeat on Wednesday night, was actually quite good, especially in the first half. Um, they were defensively solid. I thought Donna Patterson was tremendous um, at centre-back and it's frustrating for them, I think, because the manner in which they conceded the goals they conceded three goals, all from corners. Um, one was a header, one went directly in, and one was an own goal um, from the set piece. I think it's frustrating for them because they were so close and they put in a good shift against Hibs. You know, they pulled level, they had chances to go in front, chances to pull level again after going behind. Because Hibs, despite also being full-time and professional like Rangers, Glasgow City... In Celtic, they actually didn't really create anything in open play. And I think that's what's left Aberdeen frustrated because there are positives to take from the game, but it wasn't three points. And it was a three points really off that performance were there for the taking or at least a point in the end. So it sums up their season that, you know, they, they can put in a good shift, that they can put in a good performance, a performance to be proud of, which was what co-manager Emma Hunter really emphasised after the game, that she thought that they were outstanding. It was one of their best performances of the season so far but you know it's it doesn't get the three points and I think that kind of sums up their season so far and that the, that they're almost there they just cannot seem to get themselves over the line and get those three points on the board but the stage is now set for their game at Pataudry next weekend they host Glasgow women who are currently bottom of SWPL1 at Pataudry for the, club, uh, the women's team's second ever game at the club stadium on October 30th and it's I, I don't think that Aberdeen women will need you know any motivation to go out there and get three points because I think if anything despite their run of form you know they do go into these games believing that they can win and um, even when confidence might be low they you know they do put in a good performance and they don't look like a team that are struggling necessarily but yeah the stage is set for Pataudry now and it should be some occasion, hopefully, that they'll they'll break the crowd that was there last time for their first ever game. Um, they'll have, it was 1,800 were there last time on a cold Wednesday night. So this time it's a Sunday lunchtime kickoff, which I think sets it up nicely for, for plenty of people to go along. And, you know, considering the opposition, um, it, is a, it is a team that I think people 
will will be expecting them to beat. Um, so it's it's a potential kind of record breaking day for for Aberdeen women on October thirtieth, and that they could win their first ever game at Patoji, could win their first game of the season, and hopefully they do it in front of a record crowd, because you know we know how much women's football has grown in the north and the northeast. So let's hope that you know the the fans really turn out in force and, and support Aberdeen women on October thirtieth at Patoji. And now on to Ross County. Uh, this is where our veritable expert Andy Skinner will will jump in and uh, provide us with the latest from the Dingwall Club. Um, Kilmarnock this weekend, Andy. I mean, just how how big a tie is is this going to be for the club? I mean, it is a, a big game, obviously, with the, the league position of the two clubs. I wouldn't say it's quite season defining yet, you know. And you just see that with the nature of the bottom half of the table because. Everything just seems to have bunched up again in pretty much the same fashion as we saw throughout the whole of last season. Um, you know, there's no standout team that's been detached. We perhaps thought Dundee United were going to be that, but they've resurged. And it, I mean, the, the tightness of the league is really starting to show in some of these games as well, um, you know, within the individual game itself. And, you know, I look at County's last two games, the, you know, 1 0 win down at Livingston which was a, a little bit of a smash and grab um, as well as the, the, the one-all draw against Dundee United at the weekend where you know both sides had good spells in the game capitalised on them by scoring um, but you know there's largely nothing in these games and you know they're, they're kind of played on a bit of a knife edge all, all the way through which I kind of expect down at Rugby Park again um, I mean Kelly have put a, a good run of home form together. They seem to be really difficult to to break down on the, the AstroTurf there um, and obviously buoyed by their um, quarter-final win in midweek. So, you know, that's a, a challenge for, for County to go and um, overcome. But um, as I say, they, they won on plastic the last time out down at Livy. So they'll hope to do so again. Well, so there's a bit of injury news this week as as well, um, which I think obviously you'd kind of reported on and done a little kind of analysis piece with, um, with Ben Purrington kind of being out for the, for the foreseeable. I mean, just how big a miss will will he be? I think Malky Mackay is really disappointed to be without Ben for, you know, a number of weeks because, uh, you know, he, he was really starting to to build a good partnership down the left-hand side with Aura Edwards um, and, and really, you know, contribute to the attacking side of the game, which, you know, County have lacked a little bit of um, in, in the opening weeks. Um, you know, we were starting to see signs of a player, you know, stamping his mark on the team, and you know, for him to be injured now is just a, you know, bad timing really, because you know, County have been crying out for for some of the new players, I suppose, to to just sort of make that um, that statement in, in in the new side, and um, you know, it, it leaves them with a bit of an issue because I mean, George Harmon's the other left back, and he's injured as well at the minute. I think he's not far away from coming back, but clearly short on match sharpness. Um, beyond that, I mean, Ben Payton's the only real other left-back option, and um, Malky Mackay was telling us yesterday that he's broken down with a, a training ground injury as well. So, um, you know, it, it's a couple of injuries that have kind of shown uh, a, a bit of a void, I guess, in, in that one area of the park, and it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what the outcome is come Saturday afternoon. How do you... How do you kind of gauge their season so far? Um, I mean, I imagine they would have liked to to have more points on the board than they have. But I mean, how have the 
how have the new arrivals settled? What kind of what kind of side do Roth County look like being this season? I think they're they're slowly building into something that they were to an extent last season. I mean, they they, they obviously haven't at this point replicated the firepower that they lost in the summer. Charles Cook and Hungbo and Blair Spittle as well um, contributed 25 plus goals, I think, between the three of them. So, you know, replacing that in one summer is quite a difficult task. And although they've got players that look like they could make an impact in the fullness of time, um, you know, it's not just quite happened yet. But, you know, I, as I go back to the, the tightness of some of the games and I think a lot of county strength in their running that, you know, culminated in them getting into the top six last season was keeping games really tight and then taking their, their chance when, when it came. There were an awful lot of kind of one nil counter-attacking wins, including the, you know, the decisive one at Pataudry. And um, I think, you know, just grinding out results is kind of what they're they're good at. And, uh, you know, that that's why the, the win down at Livingston was quite, uh, you know, a satisfying one because it, it really did you know, remind us of, of what county can do. You know, because obviously their their defence took a bit of a, a a hammering, I guess, after the five nil against Motherwell. Um, you know, that was a really chastening night. But you know, as they've shown with their response since then, that looks to be a bit of a one off. Um, so, you know, I think Malky Mackay, you can tell he's waiting for something to to really happen. Um, Last season, it came in the form of a 5-0 win down at Dens Park, uh, and, and that really got them going. They've, they've not quite had that you know, statement moment yet, but um, you definitely get the sense that something is, is threatening to happen. One of the players that I'd seen kind of mentioned online this week as well is, is Jan Dander, who is probably the most high profile of the summer signings, given his background and his kind of pedigree at, at Swansea. I mean, why, why do you think it's maybe not not kind of fired for him yet. He's not had many opportunities, Jan. You know, he's he's mainly come off the bench. I think he's only started a, a couple, maybe three games. Um, you can tell he's a, a real technician. He's, I mean, some of the, the crosses he was putting in in the latter stages of the, the game on Saturday were a delight. And actually one of them set up a really good chance in the dying minutes to win the game for Callum Johnson, which he headed wide. Um, so he's, he's clearly got a lot of technical ability. I, I don't know if it's maybe, you know, a feeling from Malky Mackay that he needs to, um, you know, settle into the, the Scottish game and the physicality of it. You know, he's, he's quite a slight player, I suppose. Um, so maybe there's been a bit of work behind the scenes to, to try and, and get him ready for, for playing, you know, longer periods in, in Scottish football where you, you can take a, a bit of a, a kicking now and again, I suppose. Um I mean, I, I remember speaking to Don Cowie over in Italy in the summer, and you know he was quite excited, well, very excited about Jan Danda's potential, and, and kind of saw him in the Blair Spittle mould in a way, um, just being that that kind of link between midfield and attack. And um, you know, it's it's fair to say that he's not had the the opportunity to showcase that, but you know, I, I certainly don't think anyone at Ross County will have written him off as you know someone that they're um, not going to be you know, utilising between now and the end of the season. We'll see if over the coming weeks he can make his uh, impact on the county first team. I mean, that's it for part one of this week's episode of Northern Goal. In part two, we'll move on to our championship clubs. (laughs) 
Welcome to part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal. And uh, we'll move on to our teams in the championship. Uh, we'll start with Callie Thistle, who are in midweek action. And I, in my original script for this, I did have noted down that they were the league's irrepressible force on the back of five consecutive wins and three clean sheets. And then they turned in um, from what, by all accounts, was a pretty dire performance against uh, Hamilton. So... <laughs> Um, you jinxed them, Jamie. That's what we're seeing. <laughs> I don't know if I could take responsibility for that one yet, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody, uh, I don't think anybody really saw that coming, did they? Given uh, Hamilton's Hamilton's wars. No, no, it, it was a game that you know you you very much looked at as a, an opportunity for Inverness to to go and pull away at the top of the table. Um, you know, they are still joint top, but yeah, I mean, it goes down as a bit of an opportunity missed. But I mean, you can't avoid the. The injury list that they've got, and there's nine players that they're they're without. Uh, obviously, Wallace Duffy pulling up injured in the, the warm up, and you know with you know the way Cali Thistle's squad is, um, I mean, there's no disguising that that, that makes a huge impact. Uh, you only have to look at some of the you know very youthful names that are on the bench. Uh, Matthew Strachan, I think, came on for some game time in the the latter stages, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a a bit of a, a patchwork team at the minute and you know they're obviously hoping to to get some of those guys back but um you know it's it's not an excuse per se it's just you know a reality i, I guess in in the championship um you know if cali thistle lost nine players on free transfers in the summer then you know the board would be getting it in the neck for you know not assembling a team that can compete in that division and i suppose when guys are sidelined through injury then that that kind of remains the the same. Yeah, I mean, I think they were they were missing a few before the weekend, and I was I was at the game against Core Rangers, and they lost that's Scott Allardyce and Roddy McGregor in that game. I mean, two two key, key midfield players, and when you're not running with the the kind of the biggest squad anyway, the more <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's not rocket science to say the more kind of players you start losing, the harder it's going to be to put out a a consistent team, and harder to put out your strongest team. Yeah, um, it's just one of these situations, I suppose, that they're going to have to manage. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Billy Dodds is due to do press today, so um, you know, I haven't had an update on you know exactly where everyone is. I think there was a bit of concern about the injury that Daniel Mackay suffered during the game. Um, that apparently was a, a bad one, uh, or looked a bad one anyway. So you know, they don't want to be without some of their key players for a, a long period of time. But what I would say is that. You know, the fact that you gave the game such a, a build-up and in such confident mood kind of underlines uh, the fact that Inverness are still in a good position. You know, they're they are still joint top. Yes, it was an opportunity missed to extend that, but you know they have been on a fantastic run. And you know, the I suppose the conversation that we're having about them losing a game um, and and the need for a reaction is a very different one to you know how we were talking after um, you know they were defeated by Morton just over. A month ago, I think, uh, when they, they really needed to get their season back on track, they've they've certainly done that, and um, you know it's it's just a, a case of, as I say, managing this this period now. One of the players that, that caught my eye certainly at the weekend watching them because I've not seen them for a while was was Cameron Harper. He'd obviously kind of he's been around the first team for a, um, kind of a few years now as an academy product, and he was obviously ostensibly came through as a left back, and then I think he played. He came on quite a lot last season on the left as more of a left winger, and he played a little bit there this season. And now he's kind of 
Mr. Versatile and moving into the into the middle of the park. I mean, is it? Do you think it's just a kind of a needs must at the minute that they need him to play there, or is it uh, is it potential there's uh, there's room for him there long term? I'm starting to to think it's more of a long term thing. To be honest, I think you know Billy Dodds since he came in hasn't tended to play him as a first picket left back. Um, I mean, Cameron didn't get much game time at all last season from the start. He came on quite a, just about every game. But, you know, quite a lot of the time that was on the left-hand side of midfield. I think he, Billy perhaps sees more in what he can offer as an attacking threat than perhaps, you know, his defensive abilities. Um, I mean, Cameron is versatile. He's clearly a, you know, a very good technical player and, you know, he's got a really good, brain on him he, he's a player that really thinks through what he's doing and some of you know the passes that he can produce are a joy to watch um, and he's as I said certainly added goals to his game as well which you know makes him a, a a really good option in that midfield area I mean with everyone fit then it's it's very much a, a an interesting selection that Billy's got because I mean I, I consider the centre of midfield to be one of their strongest positions when you factor in you know how good Scott Allardyce has been for them, and Roddy McGregor, um, who's you know maybe struggled to to stay fit this season. Um, but you know, all things being equal, it will be a an interesting decision that that is made there when everyone is fit. Um, but it certainly seems for the the time being that you know Zach Delaney's got the left back position, um, you know, as as his for for the time being, and uh, I think Cameron will be more regularly you know utilised in the. Uh, you know, midfield area. Cali Thistle have got Wraith Rovers this weekend. We mentioned um, their other kind of, uh, the other championship club that we cover, Cove Rangers. Um, they were, were beaten 1-0 by Inverness at the weekend. Um, it's kind of back-to-back defeats for them now after uh, a 3-0 loss down at down at Wraith Rovers. Um, progress has been checked a little bit, I think. Um, after the kind of the four-game unbeaten run that they put together, um, to kind of come to come to a kind of abrupt halt as it as it has, um, they've got back-to-back away games now against A United and Hamilton, and they've only picked up a point on the road this season. I mean, third you UFC, you were down at the the game against Wraith. Um, what what did you kind of glean from that? What kind of concerns do you think they should have about kind of these games on the road? Well. A Wraith game, I think, is a bit unfair to judge them on because they were just miles off it that day to a man. And, and Jim McIntyre said as much after afterwards. They were just 1-11, Wraith were better all over the pitch. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really, it's interesting to me because I, I feel like covering a, a glass ceiling bit at the minute in terms of the size of operation of the club. They're part-time and while they have guys with experience there, it's really tough to compete in the championship. We're seeing that no matter which part you're in. And last year's excellent campaign by our growth is not the norm. That was like a freak, a freak season for the red, the red lefties. And you're seeing that in terms of where they are this season. For Cove, the aim at the start of the season was surely to try and consolidate and stay up. But that's going to be really tough in an ultra-competitive league. And we're seeing that because they're struggling when they go away from Balmoral Stadium. And you, you look around, what, what ground do you go, well, this is a good chance for, for Cove to get a result. Every game is going to be tough. Every single one home and away. But it's, away is even tougher. than Because teams don't like coming up to Aberdeen, whether it's Cove or, 
or Pataudry. They just don't like that making that trip. Cove have to make the most of that. Conversely, anything they can get on the road is going to be a bonus. Even a point, never mind wins. Picking up points here and there will be key to them staying in this division, I think. I mean, if, if you take it on, I think most kind of most of the metrics you kind of look at, it, it's, been, it's meant to be that kind of the, the more money you spend on, say, things like wages and things like that is meant to be like the higher you will finish up the table. And I would imagine as the two part-time clubs in Cove and Arbroath, they will be among the bottom the bottom end of the kind of the budget scale in the championship. So you would expect those two to be well, fighting to be, to avoid being in that, that bottom two. And if you look at it now, that's exactly where both of them kind of find themselves trying to stay out of that. Um, and I mean, you've got Hamilton that are kind of have been down there as well. It's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult kind of scenario to find themselves in. Cause I don't think they would stretch themselves to, to try and say, oh, we need to go and be a top half team. And I think they, there is a little bit of kind of realism hitting now that they've been used to kind of periods, a period of unprecedented success where they've been, if not winning the league, challenging for the league or promotion every year and used to going out there and dominating the ball most weeks and dominating games where it hasn't kind of been like that this year. Um, They've delivered the best performance of the season against Dundee. Um, I mean, but, it is a lot to expect that kind of performance every week. And you've probably seen that, that there there is that kind of inconsistency, that there is going to be a drop-off. Um, I think, in, in my view, as someone who's kind of seen them quite a lot, I think staying up this season will be a huge achievement for Cove. And it it probably is strange saying that, given they say they, they are used to kind of challenging for titles and things like that. But you're not going to get teams running running through leagues Anymore, unless you're doing a Gretna, and that—that's just that setup's not there and not sustainable. No, so you have to put in the building blocks. And I think I think Cove are probably kind of quite um, cognizant of that. That you can't you can't just kind of win titles every every year to get through all the way through. I think there maybe is a long term. There will be a long term ambition for the club, but there is also a period, almost like a cooling off period, where you're like, right, this is where we've got ourselves in four years. Let's try and establish ourselves, kind of grow some things. Like you've seen, the they've put some work in on the stadium already to kind of expand that and try and kind of bring that up to what you'd expect from from this kind of level. Um, but they are a small club compared to the other teams that you've got. You've got in this league um, teams that if, teams like in, Inverness and Dundee that have obviously kind of been to come up to Cove in recent weeks that not too long ago were premiership outfits. Um, so that's just kind of maybe a gauge of, of where they're at and kind of what, not maybe what ground needs to be made up, but while they are still a part-time team, they've got to kind of take the small wins where they can get them um, and take, and if they kind of survive this season and they take that as a as a success, I would say. I'm with you all the way. I, I mean, if you look at Carly Thistle, for example, they've spent, the better part of 20 years now in the top two divisions of Scottish football. And that's no mean feat in itself when you see the likes of Falkirk and Dunfermline and the teams that are now in League One. I'd argue if, if Cove were in League One this season, it would have been even tougher than it was last year. That's an unbelievable league to, to compete in this year, as, as we're going to come on to shortly with Peter Head. But no, Cove just need, like, and I'm going to repeat it, it's building blocks, and if, if they can stay up, 
then Jim McIntyre's done a terrific job for me. Absolutely. Well, that's it for part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal. In part three, we'll move on to Peterhead and Elgin City. Welcome to part three and the final part of this week's episode of Northern Goal. We move on down one division to Peterhead, who were beaten 2-0 by Queen of the South at the weekend and are at home to Alloa Athletic on Saturday. I mean, it's <laughs> it's pretty difficult to try and find positives and um, kind of ground that we haven't covered with with Peterhead. We've we've talked kind of a lot about injuries and absentees um, and kind of that kind of desperate search for a bit of form. Um, I mean, is it is it fair to use the word desperate, or is that maybe? Is that maybe kind of over-egging it a little bit? It's it's desperate in the sense that Jim McAnally can't put the same team out two weeks running. That, that's 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 what's desperate. It's for him in terms of I can't I don't have the same eleven. I can't feel the same system. It's just nothing. It seems to be one game following the other. Is well. Here's my eleven. Here's the guys. Here's someone we're going to build on, and we're going to see if we can just start grinding out a couple of points, a point here and there, and try and get some sense of momentum or something going it's just it's not existed at blue two in this season and yeah i mean they're really up against it there's no way <laughs> we can't get away from it i mean look at the league table now i think they're eight points adrift of third bottom which is safety and we're still in october it's they need to get their skates on something needs to change soon or it's going to be too far down the line in terms of them being able to cut to rein that that teams back in if you like I, th- I think they're really it's DEFCON 5 here I mean I think Jim's been quite reluctant to criticise the players that he's had available purely because of the situation they found themselves in um, and I, I don't know I don't know how, kind of how much criticism Jim has taken from the kind of the, the Peterhead supporters but do you think he's in a kind of a bit of a kind of a thankless situation at the minute where they, obviously they're lost I think 15 players in the summer he's had to replace them and then he's had long-term injuries to contend with as well and then having to kind of find players to cover that gap as well and when you think of the dynamic that Peterhead have where they haven't like regularly over the years they don't kind of train together too much as a whole team it's always kind of been separate factions dotted around the country because of just where where players are based maybe people aren't too aware of kind of that that kind of setup and that when you kind of have that kind of knowledge it maybe alters your perspective a little bit and what you should expect from Peterhead but and I think it's hard to it's hard to kind of sell survival year on year as a kind of as a success to to fans because like it's a natural thing as a football fan to to kind of want more and to want success of course it is but we're seeing this every season now because look at the club's and again, it's, it's wrong. I'm, I'm bringing this up in a, in a League One discussion, but if you look at clubs that have come in in League Two, they're all quite ambitious and looking to make inroads and, and move up the table. Conversely, every team that's dropped out, we haven't had one come back yet. Nowhere near coming back. So it's getting tougher year on year. And your ability to compete in whatever league you're in is increasing in difficulty because of that. Because you're seeing you're, you're seeing a leveling out of like big established historical clubs that are struggling, then you get the guys that have come in maybe 
25, 30 years ago who are now nervously looking over their shoulder all the time because it's, it is increasing in difficulty, the, the, the challenges every season. And you can see what Jim McAnally was trying to do this season. He's looking to have some experienced guys, like a couple of centre-halves, a good goalkeeper, some experience in the middle of the park, maybe an older head up front, and then build, build around that with some of these younger, yeah, shall we say, what continental guys that he's brought in. But because of the experience not being there or having to play square pegs and round holes so often, they just haven't got into any rhythm whatsoever. And then on top of that, all these new guys that have come in, who, some of them haven't played in Scottish football before. It's a huge thing to try and adapt to, to suddenly rolling your sleeves up and getting stuck in in League One. And it's hard when you don't have the guy helping you out alongside you on the pitch. Now on to Elgin City. Um, they had kind of picked up a little bit of a little bit of form until they were beaten by 10-man 4 for Athletic last weekend. Um, they are in Scottish Cup action this weekend against Camelon. Uh, Andy, uh, Elgin due a bit of a, a bit of a cup run? Um, they like a cup run, that's for sure. Um, but it didn't happen last season, of course, and that will be <laughs> firmly uh, etched in their minds as they approach the the Camelon game because uh, obviously it was this stage last season where Clyde Bank put them out uh, in front of a television audience. Uh, certainly for the uh, the, fir- the first game was on the, the telly anyway. But um, no, it's you know a break from league action. Uh, obviously having to you know respond a little bit after losing to Forfar that ended what was a very good run. It has to be said, um, and it, it just goes down as a, a really frustrating afternoon at the office because you know Forfar were sitting bottom of the league and scored early in the game but also got reduced to 10 men in the first half so you know to to fail to to sort of break that down at home probably goes down as a, a missed opportunity but I mean the I, I suppose Elgin's form in recent weeks has um, you know, certainly put them in a, a much better place. Uh, the narrative has changed a, an awful lot since the, the start of the season when they were drawing a lot of games. I think Gavin has been, um, you know, really pleased with the performances had from his team consistently. Um, and that was their first league defeat since August the 27th, I think. So, um, you know, they, they'll, they'll certainly look to, um, you know, progress in, in the cup and uh, you know it's it's a favourable tie for them I don't think Camelin are um, you know sitting in too good a position in I think it's the East of Scotland league that they're in so you know it's it's certainly you know, one that they'll, they'll very much be aiming to to make the, the most of We've seen um, kind of Owen Cairns come in there this season um, at fullback obviously he'd played Pretty much all his career in the Highland League with uh, with Strasbourg, with Torriff, with Frisbury. He kind of got a wee taste of the SPFL into last season with Peter Head, but didn't quite do enough to earn, earn a permanent deal. But what what have you kind of made of him so far? What kind of impact do you think he's he's had at, in his time at Elgin? Owen seems to have enjoyed a you know a good run in the Elgin side in the last few weeks. Um, he's been playing it right back, which has coincided with um, Matthew Cooper being injured and. Obviously, Matthew is the the club captain, and I think he's nearing a, a comeback. So, you know, he probably will, um, you know, slot back into that uh, that position. But 
Uh, I don't think Owen's done himself any harm whatsoever. And as, as I think you touched on yourself, he's quite a versatile player. Um, so, you know, Gavin will be really encouraged with the, the way that, you know, he's played his part in the last few weeks because, you know, his time in that position has coincided with a, a really uh, good run of form. Uh, it's a defence that has been, for the most part, solid. They, they obviously got a clean sheet in their previous game against Albion Rovers. Um, and, you know, the, the back four there seems to be operating, uh, you know, really well with Ross Draper slotting in alongside Jake Dolzanski. So, um, you know, I, I think Owen, as I say, as a versatile player, has uh, done himself no no harm whatsoever uh, with regards to, to getting a, a longer run in the side. Excellent. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Northern Goal. Thank you to Paul Third and Andy Skinner for joining me this morning. You're welcome. Cheers, Jamie. And if you've uh, got any uh, comments or if you want to leave a rating or review, have a look on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get you podcasts from. If you're uh, looking for a Highland League fix, there's our Friday preview show coming out t- tomorrow and we'll also, as always have our highlights packages on Monday evening. Enjoy the football wherever you are this weekend. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.